Well, thank you to our two Janes, and I will say to each of you, remember that melody. Uh, we've got a moment, so I'll tell you, in your bulletins, you'll see some sheet music. That's the song, the melody which you are hearing, and we'll talk a little more about that song through the course of the service, and we'll actually sing it before too long. So, um, those are the steps to the dance this morning and where we're going. It's good to be together as God's people. My call to worship this morning is Psalm 100. It's not a responsive reading, so I'll read it. It sets our hearts in a good place to set our focus on God. Hear the word of the Lord. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord, he's God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people. We're the sheep of his pasture. Because of that, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Hymn number 579 is immortal, invisible, God only wise. Let's stand and give God glory. Amen, and have a seat if you would. Well, greetings and welcome. I'm always thankful uh, that we're able to gather here together, sing, uh, pray together, be together as God's people. Those of you on site here, we also have the opportunity by way of the live stream and the service as it's recorded for us to join others in the course of their worship, wherever they are, whatever time. I'll give you just an, uh, a brief story. On Friday, I visited the Celebration Campus in Manistee, Michigan. Every Sunday, some friends of ours from our Mount Pleasant time gathered to be a part of this service by way of uh, live stream there in Manistee. So we want to say hello to Herb and Jane. It wasn't until Saturday that I realized 
If they're watching, that means that Celebration has three professors in the audience. And I kid you not, one of them is actually a research professor of Old Testament and biblical theology. One of his many books is entitled, A Modern Grammar for Biblical Hebrew. And I'm preaching from the Old Testament. So, pardon my performance anxiety. And I would say, Dr. DeRoshi, it's hard for me to call him Dr. DeRoshi. I first met him. He didn't come to our church for my intellectual sermons. He came because he wanted to date our children's babysitter. (laughs) But look where this got him. A modern grammar for biblical Hebrew. Dr. DeRoshi, there may be a yap in my pronunciation, but I hope the gospel is clear. It's fascinating how we gather, and yet even beyond here, God is at work in big ways. So I'm thankful for that. Grace all to Celebration Manistee. Uh, Last week, we gathered for a single uh, outdoor service. That was a marvelous uh, time. I hope it was as meaningful for you as it was for me. Today, after the service, we will have the coffee fellowship, and I will be meeting downstairs in classroom one for the post-service follow-up. People get to ask questions. We interact um, in a more relaxed and interactive atmosphere. Glad for that. Next Sunday night, I'm going to be hosting a group. This was in the Celebration Inform as we um, read and study the material, Grace and Truth 1.0. It's called Five Conversations Every Thoughtful Christian Should Have About Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. Uh, Space is limited, but speak with me if you're interested um, in being a part of that group. Some slides. Uh, I want to make sure that our families and kids are aware. This, what is that, Thursday, the movies for families, 9 a.m. in our great room. We'll be gathering for time together with kids. And then coming soon, Summer Serve Week. Um, This is a week that we uh, host about 150 middle schoolers and do ministry and service with them. It's a great, great time. And I'm thankful that I see in celebration a number of folks already signing up to help with meals, bring food, pray, do any number of things. This is not something that those people at Hardwike do for those people. This is what we do together for middle school students. And you can be a part of that great opportunity. Um, Also, if you'd like to uh, get on our weekly email that comes out Thursday night at 7 p.m., if you'd like to uh, line up a time for me to uh, visit or we sit down, just text to that number uh, the word connect and we'll be happy to do that. Um, Our confession of faith this morning, I'm deeply appreciative of the historic expressions. Um, The Heidelberg Catechism, question number 19, Uh, I'll ask the question and then together we'll respond. How do you come to know this, this being that Jesus Christ is the one mediator? The Holy Gospel tells me. God began to reveal the gospel already in paradise. Later, God proclaimed it by the holy patriarchs and prophets and foreshadowed it by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. And finally, God fulfilled it 
through his own beloved son. God fulfilled what he'd been pointing to in his only son, Jesus Christ. Let us um, take a moment and we want to do our second hymn, Beneath the Cross, Because of the Cross. There we go. Okay, as they're getting set, uh, from time to time, um, after the sermon, I will have us pray together, recite together what I called the Hardawike Gospel Meditation. And it's kind of a simple statement of all that the gospel holds for us because of what Jesus did on the cross for me and for humanity. Um, I am not my own, but belong to him. Well, we use that as part of our worship time. Um, In the course of that, one of our folks, John Swearinga, felt led to put it to music. So he came to a melody, came to words. Jane and Jane are going to help us hear the melody. But then I want us to stand and sing it and let this be part of Hardaway's worship life. But I wanted to give you that background where it is. You'll have the music in your bulletin. We'll project it. And we'll hear it once. Does that work?
Amen. Thank you, and thank you, and thank John. You know, one of the things I'm most deeply excited about is the way the Spirit, as He redeems people, draws people to a living faith in Jesus, in Christ, He gifts His people, gives them gifts to serve others and to glorify God. That's just what's going on there. The gifts of the Spirit given to the body for the worship of God and for the benefit of His people. As we turn to prayer, there is so much to be praying about. I've decided not to take my whole prayer life and do it in the course of the service. Uh, That would burn the roast. We have that much to pray for. But we do want to pray, and I'm going to want to give you some opportunity to pray for the things that you brought with you. One of the things I pray for earnestly day by day is this, discernment that we might have a sense of where God is at work and what he's called us to do and be. It's a confusing time. I came across a fascinating statement attributed to uh, H.L. Mencken. He says that for every complex problem that you face in life, there is a solution that is simple, clear, and wrong. (laughs) See, we need discernment to see and to know and to understand. And as we've been working through the book of Proverbs, one of the things we see is that sometimes that takes holding some things together into a more deeper, nuanced view of what is really true. It's not just about simple and clear. We also want to be true. Let's turn to the Father and pray, shall we? Oh, Lord, our God, I thank you for the beautiful day that I look outside and the gospel teaches me that this is just a first bare taste of the good things you have in store for the people that you love and have redeemed. How marvelous that your love is that abounding and great. Thank you that that's a love that extends to the utter ends of the earth. Help us to share that and point to it. Thank you, Father, for Hardwike Ministries. We pray for this umbrella of of people in service. Uh, We pray for our leadership and staff as they serve through the course of time. We pray this morning very specifically for our sister congregation Watershed and for Pastor Aaron as he preaches there and for Fusion that'll meet later on this morning with Pastor JB. Again, in each of those communities, build deep relationship and give uh, fruit of your Holy Spirit through the power of your word. We pray too for Mission and for Pastor Florencio that'll be meeting right here in just a few hours and making Jesus clear in the Spanish language. Bless and extend uh, that ministry. Lord, you've called us as part of a community that we call celebration. You've called us to love you and to love one another. And it's been a challenging season. So again, as we've all brought various needs, we pray in the silent sanctuary of our heart first for those who are sick. They've had a hard diagnosis, they're in treatment, they're perhaps still recovering, whatever it may be. Take the, those that are closest to you and pray for them, and in that way, we'll cover them all. We pray for those, Father, with health needs, emotional needs. We pray for the sick, whatever it may be.
And Father, we have consistently prayed for the grieving. That journey is long, and yet it moves step by step uh, forward into a life uh, that's fruitful and productive, secure in you. So we pray for those who've suffered loss, whatever the relationship, for those who feel the burden of change and tumult. We pray that you'd be comfort and strength and healing. Father, even as we gather as your people inside the walls of this church, yet we also live the other times of our life in a world that surrounds as citizens of this nation. Uh, we live on a planet that is broken and that shows every distinction of sinners who need a savior. You've taught us to pray for those in authority over us because all authority finds its source in you. So this week in our rotation, we pray for our, the federal level of government and authority. By name, we pray for President Biden and Vice President Harris, for Michigan Senators Debbie Stabenow and Gary Peters, for those who are area representatives, Bill Heisinga, Peter Meyer, and Fred Upton. And we pray too, Father, as we do each time for the nine Supreme Court justices. We thank you for the rule of law. We pray that those in these positions might be responsive to you. And we thank you that even when they are not, that the, their heart is, is a river in your hand. And so we pray you direct for shalom, for wholeness, and for peace. Father, there is much that concerns us as we look at this world. The anger, the unforgiveness, the violence, the death, the addiction. And yet we thank you that you've given us good news in the midst of that, that there is a hope that comes from outside our own abilities, that there is a joy that can be given to us to share with others, that there is a kindness that overcomes even our frustration and anger. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would dwell richly in each of us and in us together, and that you would bear the fruit of your spirit um, every place you would place us. Father, we pray for your work to the utter ends of the earth. We pray for the missionaries of Hardawike, many who are working in what we call creative access locations. So we can't even pray for them by name over the internet. But Father, you know them, we love them and give you thanks for them. We ask that you would keep them safe and make them fruitful. We pray in this broken world for the uh, invasion of Ukraine, that there would come shalom, an ending of hostilities. We pray for the Ukrainian people and the church. Father, we pray for the Japanese nation that has just experienced an assassination, the disruption of government and the violence. Father, thank you that in your grace, we can see these things clear-eyed and lift them to you and then live out your gospel where you place us. Thank you that you didn't call us to solve the problems of the world, but that your Holy Spirit has empowered us to love our neighbor. So I'm going to ask you right now to just take a quiet moment. Who is the person in your circle of contact, your neighbor? that God may want you to reach out to with an act of love this week.
Finally, Father, I pray you would uh, ignite prayer in your people. Begin in our lives, in our prayer closet, and join us together. Bring the embers of a fire together for a great flame of warmth and light. Teach us to pray even as we pray together using the words that Jesus uh, taught his people. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. At this point in our service, I'm going to invite any kids, whatever age, to join me up here. I've got a book I want to share and some things. Oh, I see a couple of good faces. Come on up, guys. Here we go. Oh, some ladies this week, we're doing well. Good to see everybody. I'm thankful to have you all a part of activities in life. You are part of the family of God. Now, often I read from one of my favorite books, Every Story Whispers His Name. But today, I've got a new book that is going to go into our library. It's from one of my favorite writers. His name is C.S. Lewis, and he wrote a whole bunch of books. Some he wrote especially for children. And this becomes one of those books for children that has been reset as a storybook. So I've got some things I'll show you. It's amazing, all the pictures. Have you ever heard of the Chronicles of Narnia? It's a great series of books that your parents may want to read to you. You can read it, but I'm going to point out to you right now some things in the storybook. See, it's a story that C.S. Lewis wrote for some of the children in his life, and it's kind of a make-believe story, but sometimes make-believe helps us understand the real world a little more clearly. So, it's a story about four children. You see them right there, don't you? And they're visiting some place, and this is what's called in Britain, a wardrobe. It's like a big closet. And they discover that they can go into this wardrobe and there's a door in the back and you go to another land. And there's different kind of people in that land. It's like nothing you've ever seen. And it's, well, that land is winter. And he says, it was like winter, but never Christmas. It was like all you have, can do is shovel snow and there's no sledding. So it's a, a sad time and there's people there who are crying and broken. But guess what else happens? Animals talk. When I was your age, I read all the Dr. Doolittle books about animals that were talking. And here's a beaver that invites them into their home and tells them about another great animal named Aslan. Aslan the Great, who's going to take care of them and rescue them from the wicked witch. Oh dear, there's a bad witch. She's lovelier, but she's just as dangerous as the witch in the Wizard of Oz. I checked it out. So, Mrs. Beaver invites them to come have a meal and she tells them about Aslan, and then one of them discovers 
Aslan, you know what kind of animal he is? He's a lion. Now, have you ever been to the zoo and seen a lion? Would you want to go play with a lion? No. One of the little girls says, Aslan is a lion? How can that be? Is he a safe lion? And Mrs. Beaver says, oh, who said anything about safe? He's not safe, but he's good. And so they go on, and there's going to come a time in the story where they will meet. See if I can find him. Aslan, the lion. And the rest of the books are about the adventures of Aslan. And as it turns out, Aslan the lion rescues the four children. And his roar is just as fierce. But they discover that his roar is for them, not against them. And it turns out that Aslan teaches us some things about Jesus and the gospel. You see, Jesus and the gospel are how God, who's great and mighty and overwhelming, how God rescues us and is for us, not against us. So before I pray for you, that's a key word. I'm going to close the sermon today with that passage from Romans. God who is for us and not against us. That's the good news. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you that you teach each of us to come to you as children, dependent to receive, joyful. Thank you for these kids who are part of our life together. Thank you that your gospel is good news for them and for us. Fill us each with the fullness of your hope and grace. Thank you for life and time together. For we make our prayer in Jesus' name and all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. Thank you, folks. You may be seated. Y'all have been great. Well, here I go. I need to preach from the Old Testament to a professor of Old Testament. Uh, We've gathered together. My text for this morning, I want to touch two passages in the Old Testament because they focus in on a particular concept that we want to dig into. I'll be reading from Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, but also Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. Hear the word of God. The Proverbs says this about wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One. Ah, that is understanding. Now let's move to Isaiah, and you'll recognize this as one of Isaiah's visions, prophecies of the coming Savior, Jesus. He writes, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God and Father, we thank you that you have loved us enough to not leave us lost and stumbling in the dark, but that you have spoken your word into our lives and that you've recorded your word that we might meet you there. Thank you 
that centuries ago through a, a, a prophet named Isaiah, through a, a king named Solomon, that your spirit was at work to give them insight, to have it recorded, and then in fascinating ways across centuries now, to have it preserved so that we might open the scroll as it were, read, and that you, Holy Spirit, would complete the task. You would illumine to our hearts and minds your truth, giving us life. Be with us in this word. Guard your people from my brokenness and confusion. Fill us with a great hope. Thank you for your word. Teach us and draw us close to you this day. For we pray in Jesus' mighty name. And all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. The fear of the Lord. If you would um, do a, a quick search of the whole scripture and underline every place where you found this term, fear of the Lord, in English, in the New International Version, you'd find it 21 times. 20 of those times are in the Old Testament, and 10 of those 20 are in the book of Proverbs. Now, to be fair, you would want to be more rigorous than just one quick phrase search in English, and I assure you I was, but that's a quick and graphic illustration of exactly what our text says this morning. Namely, that there's an important connection between wisdom, between understanding God and the fear of the Lord. To be wise, you begin with the fear of the Lord. Understanding is about the knowledge of God. So I want to dig into that some. I'm going to ask to begin with fear of the Lord defined. What is that? What does it mean? First, I want to point out that this is fear of the Lord. When you read in the Old Testament, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's the proper name of the Lord. It's not generic deity. Oh, I thank the Lord. No, it's, oh, I thank the all caps Yahweh, the God who revealed himself and his name to Moses in the burning bush. The God who spoke through the prophets, the Lord says. This is a specific God. It's not fear of some murky, spooky things like goblins and ghosts. It's not fear of other deities. You know, other deities that are worshipped by people around the planet. Deities like Allah of the Muslims. Or the God Dollar of the Americans. This is a specific God. It's not fear of the unknown. It's a real fear that results from suddenly knowing up close and personal Yahweh, the God who reveals himself in the words of the Bible. So it's the Lord. It's a specific God. Second, I want you to consider that maybe fear of the Lord refers to something like fear. See, I told you Jason didn't come for intellectually stimulating stuff. Maybe fear of the Lord means fear. Now, I understand most, if not all of us, have heard that fear of the Lord is, it's really reverence or awe. I don't want to be scared of God. It, it, it's reverence or awe. To quote one reference, it pictures a subject falling before an almighty yet good king in devotion. That is in contrast to a fear that is characterized by emotional anxiety and panic. So there's a good fear. 
a reverence and an awe, and there's a bad fear. We want one, not the other. We've been trained to think of these two different kinds of fear. Today, for just a few minutes, I want to ask you to consider that maybe there's only one kind of fear, and that that distinction is not so much good fear, bad fear, as this, who or what do you fear? You see, if you fear something bad happening to your kids, or if you fear losing your job, or if you fear not making the traveling team in your sport, I'll tell you, that's what will drive your life and motivate your choices. The things that scare you, the things that keep you up in the night, those are the things that'll drive you. I want to dig into the Scripture a bit further and let the Bible itself define for us what it defines as fear of the Lord. So I'm going to look at just two, but there's many. I'll just look at two of the times in the Bible that a person like you and me comes face to face with the Lord. How do they react? What does it feel like? Does that look like reverential awe or does it look like something else? Let's see what their experience is like. Let's let real encounters with the real capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord, Yahweh. Let's let him guide us. The first one that I want to look at is the prophet that I read from, Isaiah. And I'd want to look at the very beginning of Isaiah's ministry. He's a fascinating guy. He seems to have been very well educated of the priestly family, one of the elite leaders of Israel and their service. So he would have been involved in the worship of God every day. He was called as a prophet as well. And through the reign of at least four kings, he spoke God's message to the people. Probably over 60 years of that, he was faithful and strong and good and close to God. Tradition has it that he was sawn in half by order of wicked King Manasseh, put in a hollow log apparently, and sawed in half for faithfulness to Yahweh but unmoved. What a man of faith. It's reasonable to believe that Hebrews 11.32 in the New Testament was referring to Isaiah and his death in that way. Listen to how a faithful life like that of Isaiah began. His calling, the beginning of his ministry is in Isaiah chapter 6. He writes, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and exalted. He was seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were angels, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and two they covered their feet, and two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, and the earth is full of his glory. How did Isaiah respond? He said, Woe is me, woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I have lived among the people of unclean lips, and my eyes have now seen the King, Yahweh, the Lord. Isaiah, who would live a fruitful and powerful life in faith, began with an encounter with the living God, and it scared him to death. He looked, his eyes get wide, he knows He's in trouble. It looks a little different than what I would call reverential awe. 
What happened? Well, he goes on to say that one of those angels flew to me with a live coal in his hand. With it, he touched my mouth and he said, see, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Isaiah meets the Lord. He realizes he's in big trouble, that it's going to be difficult here, that he has a problem, but it's God who provides a remedy for him. The Lord gives him a coal to clean his lips, and he goes on to ministry as a prophet. Woe is me, but then God acts, and his guilt is taken away, and his sin is atoned for. Let's look at another event in the Scripture where we see somebody encounter the living God. We'll go to the New Testament with this one. We'll go to the Apostle John. Now, John was called by Jesus as a very young man. As best we can tell, he was the youngest of the 12. He's often referred to as the beloved disciple. Jesus had a particular warm heart and connection to this young man who was going to be part of the early movement from the very beginning. John, the apostle, would have seen the healing of a man born blind, and he recorded it. He saw the feeding of 5,000 people from a few loaves and fishes. He recorded it. He saw Lazarus, who was dead, come back to life and come out of the tomb. He recorded that. He was an eyewitness himself to the crucifixion, death of Jesus. He heard with his ears as the one he loved and who loved him bled to death and then cried out, it is finished. He heard that. He was one of the first men who a few days later would run to the empty tomb of Jesus at the report of the women on Easter morning. He was in the middle of the action at Pentecost. He talked with Saul, the Pharisee, after his Damascus Road experience. And for decades after that, he continued to live faithfully for God and for Jesus. John would write words like this, God is love. Twice he did that, 1 John 4, 8 and 1 John 4, 16. John would write these words, perfect love drives out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. That's the kind of man that John was. Finally, after decades, perhaps in his 80s, an elderly man who's been faithful for a long, long time. After these decades of adventures and experience with Jesus, he's in prison for living faithfully, and he's put on the island of Patmos. Listen to what he writes down about his experience coming face to face with the risen Jesus. On the Lord's day, he says, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone kind of like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, really, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like, like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, yo, Jesus, my buddy, good to see you. I was just thinking about you. I was even going to stop by your house. Well, well, not today. I I need to 
be at the lake, man. I mean, what a day. Just look at this. Don't tell me you would shame me for enjoying this beautiful world. After all, it's your creation, right? How does John respond to this encounter? John says, I fell at his feet as though dead. I fell at his feet as though dead. Slain in the spirit. He's out. He's over. Looks like a little more than just reverential awe. A polite curtsy before the king. No. He's seen something that takes his breath away. After decades of faithfulness, miracles, and ministry, John's no hip buddy Jesus kind of guy, John meets the glorified Jesus and he hits the floor as though dead. See, John realizes in the face of Jesus, he has a problem. He knows who he is. He sees who Jesus is. The good news of the gospel is this. Jesus has a remedy. Verse 17, then Jesus placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I want to tell you something. When the lion, who's fearsome, says, do not be afraid, you have good reason not to fear. It's about that lion. You see, these are two examples, there's many in the scripture, of people like you and me who come face to face with the living Lord, and their response is more like drop-down terror. They look more like they've dropped dead. Can you imagine the real God? Out they go. This is no calm response. In terms of what we know about brain research now, this is engaging the amygdala. Do you know about that deep part of the brain, the flight or f- the fight or flight center? where you encounter something and you move into auto response. You wanna turn away and run. You wanna stand and fight. You just cannot be there. This is a moment where the Lord meets these people and it engages their amygdala. It's drop dead terror for them. Now, what is it that makes the Lord so fearsome? What I'm suggesting to you is that if you're Isaiah and if you're John, no matter how faithful you will be, no matter how faithful you have been, an encounter with the living God will take your breath away. Why is it? I want to make real clear here that the Lord is not fearsome because of his explosive temper. Oh, I better be careful around him. He might get angry. No. It's not because of his unpredictable anger or outburst. It's not the inconsistency of his mood. You know, one day he's up, the next day he's down. One day he can tolerate you. The next day, I'm fed up. I'm going to pinch your little head. God is not like so many of the situations and the people that cause me to tremble. 
Do you hear that? When I look at the fear that I have in the world and the experiences and the situation, the circumstances that take my breath away, God is not at all like that. Apparently, what is so fearsome is not that God is like the things that I fear in this world. It's that He is so unlike anything I've ever made in this world. It's His holiness. It's His unique difference as Creator. The one who made perfection, dealing with one who is not perfect. See, we need to realize that this real fear of the real Lord is just the beginning of wisdom. If we have only that fearsomeness and only that fearsomeness, we don't have the gospel. You see, God is love. John knew that even as he fell. It is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Paul writes that. But in a similar manner, if we don't recognize a real fearsomeness of the Lord, we have missed the gospel just in a different way. Have only this, you miss it. Have only that, you miss it. We're, like we've been so often looking at wisdom, we're at a both and sort of thing. You see, the living God meets us in Jesus as both the lion and the lamb. The gospel is God showing us that we have a problem and that he has a remedy. There's two things there, a problem and a remedy. The problem, on our own, we're before a holy and just God. And alone before a holy and just God, we have much to fear. The only rational, wise response is drop-dead terror. But God himself has a remedy, and that remedy is what Jesus did on the cross for me and for all humanity. To be true to the gospel of God's grace, you've got to have both. Take one leg away from who's your favorite running back. Remember Barry Sims with the Detroit Lions? Which was more important for him, his right leg or his left leg? You only run like that when both are amazing. A God who is fearsome gives us a problem. A God who is loving gives us the remedy, and that's the gospel. If we think there is only a problem, we will be crushed by guilt, we'll be insecure and always trying harder or we'll live in denial. It's not gospel to manipulate and motivate people's behavior by use of fear. Did I say that clear enough? It is not the gospel if we use fear to motivate people and their behavior. Likewise, if there is no problem, then the remedy becomes irrelevant. If you're not sick, who needs the medicine? See, that's what the world, I think, is telling us these days. We're not sick, we don't need your medicine. How do you press forward in that? The gospel of God's grace is both a holy God who is fearsome and his grace alone that offers the remedy. Please hear me in this. It's not either or. Which one do I prefer? Which one do I like? It's both and. What makes grace important and wonderful is that it's a remedy to a real problem. Jesus is both the lion and the lamb. And even our children can begin to learn and see this. It's like C.S. Lewis says in that dialogue, is he safe? Who said anything about safe? 
course he isn't safe, but he's good. How many people could hardly picture the living God as a lion? Oh, a puppy maybe. Warm and cuddly, fun to play with, there when I need him. I want to tell you, the living God is a lion. He's also a lamb, a sacrificial lamb who would give his life. But if you lose one of those, you lose the whole thing. You see, apart from God's grace, if God is truly awesome, I think there's two other options in how we respond. One is denial. Oh, I can't believe that. No, it's not comfortable. I, I won't, I won't, I won't. The Lord is not to be feared. I don't want that kind of deity. We've all felt that. We've all said that or heard that from people. It's a form of denial. Oh, no. Oh, no. John would say God is love and then drop dead terror when he met him. You got to make room for all of that. That'll mean avoiding denial. The other response is some form of sacrifice. I'm going to work hard at, well, it's something. Maybe I'll work hard at being nice. That's a hard one for me. Maybe I'll work hard at offering sacrifices of animals or money, whatever I think is expected. Maybe I'll work hard at being religious and being right. Whatever it is, we work hard. And it's this deep heart sense that I will be okay if I just behave. If I just do what is expected, or at least, you know, we've lowered the bar so far in this day and time. Do something. Just do something. What I want to tell you is that neither of those will deal with the fearsomeness of the living God. But because of God's grace, the gospel of God's grace, you and I can receive God's remedy to the problem. Do not be afraid because the Lord is on your side. He is not safe and comfortable. He will call you to difficult things like repentance. And repentance isn't just changing your mind and behavior. It's realizing that your behaviors were motivated by a heart of sin that needs God. God may call you to the utter ends of the earth. Imagine God messing with your checkbook. He's not safe. Do not be afraid, but do not be afraid because the Lord is on your side. Not safe, not controllable, indeed fearsome, but the problem is more than you can fix yourself by your own resources or efforts. God himself offers you a remedy. The Lord of the Bible is no less fearsome but his holiness is now for us and not against us. I've closed each sermon encouraging you to read with gospel eyes, and I've given you this little framework. Read with a thought towards creation. What does this say in light of the fall? What does that mean for redemption? And finally, the new creation. When I read these passages about the fear of the Lord in light of creation, I see a time, a moment in the biblical history where there was no fear. The Lord was who he was, but we were different. We had relationship with him in a different way. We trusted, we lived as he directed. His life was life through us. We flourished in the garden, good stewards of a marvelous creation. And so, then comes the fall. And fear enters in to human existence, human's relationship with God. It touches the world. You know, the first place 
you read about fear in the Bible is Genesis 3.10. Adam answered, I heard you, Lord, in the garden, and I was afraid. Fear was not God's creation intention. But fear is real because it exists in the fall and because of the fall, because of our sin, because of our brokenness, as well as the sinful acts we do and are done to us by others, now exists fear in our relationship with God. That's why his remedy, the gospel, redemption is good news. God the Son becomes the Lord's own remedy for fear that we experience. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, for me and for all humanity, now a remedy is available and no other remedy is adequate. The roar of the lion that rightfully strikes fear is the roar of a lion who is also the lamb of atoning sacrifice. So now it is not a threat to us. The roar is just the way a lion says, this one belongs to me. I've got him covered and protected. You may not carry him off to a place of shame, you orphan voice deep in his head. You condemning world, you have no final word of him. He belongs to me. The impact of rejection or loss or evil, no, roar. I, says Jesus, and the great lion of Judah, I gave my life and conquered death and pain so I could rescue this one. Come to him. Paul would write, if God is for us, who can be against us? It is God who justifies, Romans 8.31. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you hear the roar of the lion? Fearsome, yes. But because of the cross, it's a roar for you and for me. I am safe. I can face it, whatever it is for you, because the God who rescued me is fearsome and strong and good. Friends, that's the beginning of wisdom and learning how to live with humility and grace and kindness to realize our rescue. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God and Father, you've loved us deeply. We thank you for that. We are amazed when we get a deeper sense of your holiness and our brokenness. We are amazed that in light of that problem that you have offered a remedy, that what we could never do ourselves, you have done and offered to us by your grace that we might receive it by faith. This day, may the gospel grow strong in us, not simply for our benefit, but for your glory and for the benefit of others. We ask you, gracious God, to guide us and lead us and speak to us. May we hear deeply your word for us. 
a word where the roar is our safety and protection. I'm going to ask that we close this part of the service by reciting together this Heart of White Gospel meditation, the prayer from my own life that inspired our second hymn. Let this begin to move deep into our hearts. Let's pray together with one voice. Because of what Jesus did on the cross for me and for all humanity, I am not my own. But instead, by the working of his grace, I am a deeply loved and fully adopted child of the great creator king. Jesus has loved me first and loved me as I am right here and right now, not as I should be or could be. He has also given the Holy Spirit to work in me, transforming me day by day into his likeness. In that way, Jesus increasingly works through me as he brings about the restoration and reconciliation of all creation. Holy Spirit, help me to believe this and increasingly see the evidence of your work in my life, values, and actions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, our soul is well, not because we have performed up to expectations, but because the lion has rescued us and his roar is for us. Hymn number 451, when peace like a river attendeth my way, it is well with my soul. Let's stand and sing to God's glory.
Friends, good news, the roar is our rescuer. He is strong and able, and he's for you. Next week, we'll gather for communion. Use this as a week to prepare your heart. And remember, we're invited by one who's rescued us. For now, the benediction, the blessing from Paul's letter to the Roman church. He writes, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bill translation says, just like you did. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen and amen.